Welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. It is great to see everybody. So we just sounded the shofar, and um, I mentioned that uh, today is the 28th day of Elul. Well, I didn't mention that, but it's the second to last day of Elul, 28th day. Tomorrow is the 29th, also known as Erev Rosh Hashanah. And on Erev Rosh Hashanah, we do not sound the shofar. So for 28 days of Elul, we sound the shofar. The 29th, we don't sound the shofar. And then the next day, which is Rosh Hashanah, we sound the shofar. And the reason brought down in, um, in, our, in our tradition is to confuse the Satan, to confuse Satan. Now, what is, first of all, let's just take uh, a half a step back. What, who and what is Satan? So Satan is the prosecuting angel or the prosecuting energy. In fact, Satan in Hebrew means to turn against or to prosecute. So, and as the Talmud says, it's all the same thing. The Yetzahara is the Satan. Is, it's all the same thing. It's all the same energy. It's the force that kind of says, hey, try it. What could go wrong? And then it's like, look what he did. Right? Look what she did. It's like, you know, that whole... You remember, remember that kid in school? No, I'm kidding. So it's like, it's like you know, getting... It's, you know, schlepping you into trouble and then pointing the finger like, oh, look at this guy. Right? Look what they just did. That's Satan. Satan is also related, if you recall, etym- etymologically, in other words, in, in Hebrew language, or in language, but in Hebrew language in this case, Satan is related to the word sista or um, um, shtus or shtut, which is the idea of folly, which is appropriate for, I took off the jacket of my book, so it's a little bit less thick um, right now. I got the book separately. Overcoming folly Right? If you recall, the opening page of Overcoming Folly talked all about the idea of Satan. Um, in fact, because I could see that you are wondering what I'm talking about, perhaps, I can't actually see that, but if, if, in case you're wondering, so here we go. For this, I'm just quoting from the opening page that we studied you know, uh, a few months ago. It says, for this reason, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is called Satan, since it turns man away from the proper path and then proceeds to slander him in the heavenly court, turning toward prosecution. So essentially, Satan, I, I mean, we're in the South, like Satan is a thing, but like it comes from the Hebrew Satan, and Satan is that force that, number one, pulls us in a negative direction, then number two, points the finger, slanders, accuses, and ultimately prosecutes us. So... Circling back to the shofar, which we sounded at the top of the class. So, and I mentioned that this is going to be the last time we sound it for um, Pratt. Satan scrambled his Santa. Okay, I don't know about that one. So, listen, <laughs> Yaakov, I don't know. You got to grab some coffee. Here's the deal. So, um, so, so the, the, the shofar is not sounded in Arab Rosh Hashanah. And it says, in order to confuse the Satan. And I asked the question before. I kind of asked it in, jokingly, but it's, the question is brought down in the good books. What does it mean that we're confusing the Satan? What, we took a day off from the show. Tomorrow we'll take a day off from the show. So the Satan's going to be like, oh, maybe I missed Rosh Hashanah. They didn't blow the show for today. Oh, well, let me pack up all my prosecutors. Prosecu- Prosecutorial files. I think I said that right. Let me pack up all my files and go home. I guess I missed the boat this year. 
And then, you know, you see the Satan walking away, like very sad. And, you know, I missed the chance this year. I'll get him next time. Those, uh, those, those kids got me again. And then we show up the next day, blow the show for Meanwhile, he's like on vacation in, I don't know, Death Valley. Where does Satan go to vacation? I'm just thinking. And the next thing you know, that was a joke. The next thing you know, it's like we're in the clear because there's no, you know, we show up to the court case, the heavenly court case. They're like, and for the side of the prosecution, no one shows up. Boom, we got it. Is that what's going on? Because you would think year after year, the Satan would actually, as I said before, just order the Chabad, just like put their name on the list, get the Chabad calendar, be like, bro, I know what's going on here. You're trying to fool me. It's done. So the truth is, the Rebbe discusses this, and the Rebbe explains that it's not, no, it's not a game, it's not a, it's not a calendar, you know, fooling situation. No, what it is, is, what it is, is, is the confidence. And it's the confidence that is intimidating. We stand tomorrow, Erev Rosh Hashanah, with such confidence that we are in a good place, that we don't even need the shofar anymore to remind us to get to a good place. The shofar is like an alarm clock. Okay, a very... Honestly, this is how I go around wake up my kids in the morning for school. Right, guys? I got a few... Yes? They're shaking their heads no, but what they really mean is yes. I go around with this. It's like, guys, it's 6.45, time to get up. And they're like, what's going on? And then it's like... And they're like, what is happening here? And I'm like, it's, a, it's an alarm clock. Right, Ellie? Yes? No? That What? One time it happened? I don't <laughs> Did I once do that? Did I once wake up with a chauffeur? Yes? See, I think I actually did. Was it this year? No, no. Um, um, the chauffeur um, um, made the moth fly. It made the what fly? The moth. The moth? I don't remember. Okay, it could be. Now, getting back to the story. So what's the point? The, the Shoifer reminds us to shaprum as it says in, 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 uh, in Scripture, to repair, re- fix our ways. Shoifer is really, shapru means to beautify or to, to hone, to fix, to correct our ways. It's the alarm clock. It's a call to action. It's whatever you want to call it. It's a, it's a spiritual jolt. Um, alarm clock? Yeah. Yeah, to wake you up? Yeah. Right. See? Yeah. Reva's on it. For, for teshuva. For teshuva. Good. So it reminds us. So not long, listen to this. So not long the chauffeur. I don't know why I'm teaching this class. Reva, step into the saddle here. No. Okay, fine. So the, the so here's the deal. The chauffeur, not long the chauffeur tomorrow at Rosh Hashanah is a statement. It's like a boss move which I'll translate. It's basically, it's like, we're so confident that we got this, that we're in a good place, that we're going to be signed, sealed, delivered for a good year. We're so confident that we don't even need the chauffeur anymore. We don't even need the chauffeur to get ready for this. It's kind of like a baseball player. You know, I don't know. I'm thinking, uh, whatever, random. You, I don't know. Don't analyze me for why I'm coming with this, with this analogy. But it's like a baseball player... Coming up, it's day seven, yeah. Coming up with, um, coming up to like a home run derby and like, I don't even need, I'm in like casual clothes. I don't need to take batting practice. I'm just going to walk up and start slugging. It's like that is a message of intimidation to all the other players out there in that home run derby. I don't know if that example works, but it works in my head 
and I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. It's like we're going to go into Rosh Hashanah without that last-minute prep because we don't need it. That's how confident we are. And fe- sensing that confidence, the spiritual confidence, not arrogance, but spiritual confidence, believing in the work that we've done, believing in Hashem, that Hashem is, 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 knows where we are and knows where we want to be. Just in that space, the Satan is like, you know what? These guys have it. No, we're not confusing the Satan about the calendar date. That would be, honestly, that would be funny, but it would be a little too funny. It's more about the confidence that we have, and the confidence itself is powerful. So, here's my message. This is like the opening message for today's KNC. Come on, coffee. The opening message is, that was KNC, not KFC. That's a different class. So, um, the, uh, the opening message is, as we have now what, 36 hours left to the year? Let's take today as a day of reflection, like last, you know, last chance, not last chance, it sounds too scary, but like, you know, the, the opportunity, if we've, if we've, you know, pushed it off a little bit, let's take today as an opportunity, take an hour or two or half an hour even, or whatever, reflection, taking account of what, some stuff of the last year, think about what we can do better this year and make that resolution internally and, and make, a, make a resolution that you can really do. Like, take a real resolution that you can really implement this year, and Hashem will know it, you will know it, you can share it if you want with, with, uh, with loved ones, with family, to, to help encourage you along, you know, that this year, it's always good to have others that, that know to help, whatever, and we go into our Rosh Hashanah like a boss, like, ready to go with confidence, and Satan can't touch us. Okay, so that's the opening message. Now, let's talk about a related theme which is the subject, the primary subject of today's class. First of all, let me check in. Does that, did that make sense? Just checking in. Yes? Yes, yes, yes? Okay. So let's talk about the primary theme of today's class, which is the idea of living authentically. Living authentically. Now, this sounds very new agey. And in truth, it kind of is. It kind of is. Um, living authentically means... Living authentically means that we're being true to ourselves. Um, I've told the story... Well, okay, before I get to the story. So it means living true to who we are. Oftentimes, we go through life wearing masks. We put on a mask, we wear a facade, we fit into what we think others want us to be, and we end up living inauthentically, in other words, not authentically, and it does ourselves harm. It does those around us harm. Ultimately, even if we think we're doing it for their benefit or whatever, it ultimately doesn't benefit. You can't have a, it's hard to have a genuine relationship when we're not being authentic. So it hurts ourselves because we're not being true to who we are. It hurts the other that we're in a relationship, others that we're in relationships with because we're not showing up as we are, as we actually are. It's like, it's like a, it's, 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 it's fake. It's not, it's not real. And um, I don't know which is the worst part of it, but and in addition to the above, self and relationships, it also hurts ourselves. It also detracts from our ability to perform and fulfill our purpose in this world. It's really hard to show up and do what we need to do in this world to fulfill our like big purpose and mission in life if we're just if we're faking, if we're just not if we're not authentic. So being authentic is critical for self, for other, and for purpose, which is basically the, the big three, right? There's me, there's you, and then there's the world. 
Those are the big, those are the big three ideas. So living authentically enhances all three. I'm authentic, I'm real, I'm genuine, I feel, I'm at ease with myself because who I am is flowing through. I'm able to connect with others, maybe not everyone because, you know, this is who I am and maybe that doesn't fit exactly with everybody else, right? Because not, no, no, not everyone is the same, not everyone is compatible. But those that I am compatible with, it's a, it's a, it's a genuine fit. And I'm able to do what I need to do in, the, in, in this world. I'm able to fulfill my mission because I'm living authentically. But here's the problem. It's great. Oh, it's a great, great slogans. Um, hold on. I see a question here about call-in number. What's the question? Call-in number for this class. Um, I can try to find it. Hold on. Um, hold on, give me a second here. Okay, we're talking about authentic living. But... Let me see if I can help with this for a call-in line. Okay, one second. Meetings, meetings, meetings. Do, 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 do. Um, Let's see, let's see, Kabbalah and coffee. Okay, I don't know if this is going to work, but... Alright, I just posted in the chat. So hopefully that works. All right, back to our, back to our conversation. So authentic, authentic living. So it's helpful, primarily, uh, uh, profoundly helpful, and profoundly like life changing to live authentically. And so it's a value. The question though is, oh, oh, here's what I was about to say. And it's great. It's an easy thing to say. It's like live authentically, be your authentic self. It's like live a genuine life. It sounds, it's great, and it's true, and it makes sense, and it's wonderful. You can't argue with it. It's 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 the best. But here's the problem. What happens when someone says, well, what is my authentic self? <laughs> what, who, who is the real me? What is the real me? And it reminds me of the story that I like to tell. The story with our fellow Yankel who's going through an identity crisis. You've, heard me, you've probably heard me say this before, but it fits in this context. Yankel is going through an identity crisis and he doesn't know who he is. So his wife has an idea. And she says, take this red string and tie it around your big toe. And any time you have a question, an identity crisis question, who am I, who am I? You just look down at your toe. Maybe you have to take off your shoes and socks, but you look down at your toe, and you'll see the red string, and you know, I know who I am, I'm Yankel. Perfect, and it works. Week after week, month after month, it works. One day, he's by the, by the communal bathhouse. And there he is, and he's doing his thing, and he's uh, showering, whatever it is, and the next thing you know, the soap loosens up the red string around his toe. And, you know, as soap and water sometimes does. And the next thing you know, it's floating downstream. And it somehow, whatever, it somehow gets around someone else's toe. 
But at some point, <laughs> getting weird looks for my kids. Anyway, just it's a, it's a story. Didn't have to happen. So at some point, at some point, Yankel starts feeling his uh, identity crisis creep in. He looks down and he doesn't see anything. There's no red string. Who am I? He's wondering aloud inside his own mind and heart. He looks around. He's looking around. He sees that the string is now around someone else's toe. He runs over to that person and says, I know who you are, but who am I? Anyway, so that's the thing. So the question is, that was a joke. Who am I? It's not always easily answered, and it's not always solved by a string around the toe. So the question is, when we're trying to live true to our authentic self, what and who or who and what is our authentic self? Kabbalah has a very definitive way of addressing this. Kabbalah has a lot to say on authenticity and, and the authentic self. In fact, as I've described uh, many times before, Kabbalah does primarily two things. Kabbalah describes the macrocosm of the universe and the spiritual dynamics that play in the universe. So it talks about God the Creator and Seder Hishtashlut, which is the whole um, the mechanism of creation. It talks about the world's the different worlds, and the spherot, the energies within the worlds, right? The macro stuff. And Kabbalah also speaks about the microcosm of the human being. Because we know in Kabbalah that the human being is actually called an olam katan. And those two words in Hebrew mean, in English, olam means world, katan means small. Not katan, the board game. Katan meaning small. Olam Katan means a small world or a small universe. You and I are small worlds. And what that means is what exists in the, in the large world exists in the, the, the real world or the universe also exists within our own... Hey, Ellie. Also exists within our own minds and hearts. One way to understand this is that just like the large world has Sfirot, 10 sphero, 10 energies, and four worlds, as I mentioned a moment ago. We also have 10 soul powers that match those 10 divine energies. We have 10 personal soul powers, and you know what they are, right? Of course, they're Chachma, Bina, Dat, Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzachod, Yesod, Malchut, right? The wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love, discipline, compassion, ambition, humility, um, connection or communication and leadership. So these are the various energies that we have in our soul. And we also have the four worlds, the physical, our physical component, emotional component, intellectual component, spiritual component, etc. Hey, Ellie. Hi. Say hi. Maybe you just did. Wave. There you go. All right. So we all have that. We are like a biosphere if that's the right term, we have our own kind of uh, ecosystem that, that parallels, that mirrors the larger universe. That's the way it is. So Kabbalah does a, lot of, does a lot of work, spends a lot of time speaking of, well, what's inside a human being? And there's a lot of stuff. As I mentioned a moment ago, there's the physical stuff that has all of its drives, including the animal soul that drives the physical body towards survival. 
And you know, sometimes that's at odds with the godly soul's spiritual drive, which drives us toward selflessness, right? So just a, just a simple example. You have some food. So the animal soul says, eat it. The godly soul says, share it. There you go. And it's not only food, it's any resources, right? The animal soul says, hold on to it. You need resources. And the godly soul says, share it, right? Yes, obviously you need resources also. You need to keep some, but, but let's think bigger. Let's think outside of self. Don't only think about self. Think about other world, purpose, mission, etc. So Kabbalah defines the self as being something that is a little complicated, multi-layered, multifaceted, but that has a definitive core, and that's what we need. That, that's the information that we need in order to truly understand what living authentically means from a mystical perspective, from a Kabbalistic perspective. Again, Kabbalah teaches that you and I are really complicated. It's a lot of different dynamics at play, but there is a definitive thing or there is a definitive understanding of what is at the core essence, true, authentic reality of our being. What is that? You probably know the answer. We've talked about it before. We've studied it before. We have a godly soul. We have an animal soul. We have a selfless part of self. A... Uh, an anti-self-self, -self, and we have a self-asserting self. And both are powerful, both are strong. In the book of Tanya, he likens it to two wrestlers. As my son Shalom likes to say, wrestling is the only sport where two people are fighting over a belt while none are wearing any pants. <laughs> right, Shalom, did I get that joke right? Anyway, so it's like the Tanya <laughs> refers to it. Listen, Tanya refers to this struggle as a wrestling match. It's a wrestling match. The godly soul on one side, the animal soul on another side. And they're wrestling over dominion over the body. Dominion over our thoughts, our speech, and our action. The godly soul wants us to think higher thoughts, speak higher words, and do higher things. And the animal soul says, no, 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 no. Come down here. Think this. Think down here. Speak lowly things. Do mundane things. Yes. As Adina Malka mentioned, Jacob and Esau. In Tanya, as you and I have studied, right? Tanya says that this is the ultimate, this is the, the deeper meaning of the twins, Jacob and Esau. Right? Jacob represents the godly soul. Esau represents the animal soul. Again, the noble self, the, low, the higher self versus lower self, selfless self versus selfish self. But like Rebecca, their mother, we're all pregnant with twins. We all have these twin forces inside. And each is struggling. This is what Adina Malka was writing in the chat. Each one is wrestling. Right? The Torah tells us that when Rebecca is pregnant, 
The children were wrestling. They were struggling inside of her. And she wasn't sure what was, she didn't know she had twins. She was wondering what, what, why all of this turmoil inside. Until she went to the oracle, to the, to the prophet. And the prophet said, you have twins and each one is pulling in a different direction. Hence the struggle. But if we read this story, which is a literal story also, but if we read it from the Kabbalistic and Hasidic perspective, it becomes a metaphor for every single one of us. This is not just one biblical person who is pregnant with twins. This is you and I. We're all pregnant with twins, which means that inside of us, there are these dueling forces. And they're strong. The animal soul pull, is pulling really hard downward. The godly soul is pulling really hard upward. And we sometimes feel stuck in between. We, we're conflicted. What should I do? Should I do the mitzvah? Should I not do the mitzvah? Should I give or should I hold? Like, what should I do? And it's not easy. And every moment of our lives is filled with this struggle. As the author Rebbe says in Tanya, this is the fate of the Bainani. The Bainani is basically everybody. The Bainani is the person who has both souls strong and healthy and kicking inside and now is meant to somehow referee between the two. Not referee, but lean one way or the other. You got both ideas inside. Both seem convincing. The question, we make the choice though. We have free choice. We choose which voice to listen to, which path to follow, which thoughts to think, words to speak, and actions to do. And we decide that not once in our lives. We literally decide that on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Every moment of every day, there is potentially another iteration. I'll spell that in a second. There's another iteration of this struggle between godly and, divine, and, and, uh, and animal soul. So the banani is spelled like that. I just typed it in. That's banani. Okay. One of the big ideas of Tanya, and this is the main point, is that although we have two, two souls, do not, do not think, do not make the mistake to think that both are equal and both are parallel. Although it seems like that. And if you only read certain chapters of Tanya, you might walk away with that impression that they're equal, powerful forces. Godly soul, animal soul, animal soul, godly soul. And they're vying for control over our minds, mouths, and actions, hands, whatever. But later on in Tanya, he says, you need to know, you and I need to know, we need to know that the core of who we are is a godly soul. It's not simply two dueling wrestlers. It's more like, I don't know of a, good, of a good analogy right here, but the analogy that I'm thinking of is an onion. I don't know if an onion is like, okay, whatever. It's like an onion, something that has appeal to it, right? Not appeal, but a peel. You with me on that? Yes? All right, language. It's great. So it's, it's, there are layers, and you peel layers, and then at some point, there's a core. And what's the core? The core is the godly soul, every day of the week. 
even if somebody has piled up layer after layer after layer on top, not just the natural animal soul layer, but has through actions and choices throughout their life, has put layer, added new layers of concealment to the core, never gets rid of the core. The core is always there and it is the core. Even if a person doesn't see it or believe it, even if they deny it, it doesn't change the fact. So to give you an analogy, think of a precious metal. Think of silver. Think of a silver candlestick. Oh, might be some silver candlesticks right behind me. Right? Think of a silver kiddush cup. And think how naturally the way it works is with silver, it tarnishes. Right? It just, it, 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 it turns a darker color. So what's the solution? You polish it. And what happens when you polish it? You restore that beautiful silver color. So what happens? You're not, imagine somebody buys a, somebody gets a pure set, a, pure, a set of pure silver candlesticks or a pure silver Kiddush cup. In Yiddish, we would call this leichter. It's uh, the light, the, the candlesticks, and a becher. Becher would be the Kiddush cup. So leichter and becher. So pure silver. You, let's say you get it as a gift. person gets it as a gift. Let me just give you a better scenario. Let's say a bar mitzvah boy gets a silver becher, a silver Kiddush cup as a gift. Shalom, I'm not saying... You may or may not. This is not about you. This is a theoretical example. Shalom, in case you, you're wondering, Shalom's Bar Mitzvah is coming up in, uh, please God, next month. Oh my gosh, did you know that? Are you ready? Yeah? No? Okay. All right, 23rd, October 23rd. Save the date. Okay, back to the story. Imagine a Bar Mitzvah boy gets the, gets the silver Kiddush cup, and after six months or a few months or less, whatever, he notices it's beginning to tarnish. It's getting to be a darker color and it's, it's lost its beautiful silver luster and shine. And so one day, his dad or mom walks in and this young man, this young bar mitzvah boy is sitting at the table with a, you know those, um, those um, silver markers, the ones that you shake and it has the little thing inside that go, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, uh, the silver ink marker. And there he is, he's repainting it with silver. You'll be like, facepalm, like, no, you don't need to do that. Hold on, slow it down. You don't need to cover it with silver. All you need to, to do is uncover the silver. You with me on this? You don't need to cover, you don't need to layer silver on top. You just need to uncover the silver that is really and in fact inside. So, Yes, I'll get to that in a second. So what is life about? And what is life as a Bainani about? It's about peeling back the layers. It's about polishing the silver, taking off the layers of tarnish, and understanding that we need not be embarrassed about the tarnish. Because, like with silver, it's a natural fact of life. You have silver, it will tarnish, and it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. That's the nature of 
the substance. The nature of life, human life, is that we have an animal soul and we have an evil inclination and there's all this stuff that, you know, opposes what's right and beautiful and true and authentic and internal. There are all these other forces that cover and conceal and our job is to polish, is to take off those other layers and to reveal what's inside. So here's my point. Here's my point. Kabbalah lifts the hood of the human being, lifts the hood of our internal psyche, internal dynamic, and says, you know what's inside? You know what's going on? You know why we feel so conflicted in life? Because we have conflicting drives. It's not, a, it's not a flaw, it's a feature. God created you and I with conflicting drives. But then Kabbalah goes a step further. And Kabbalah says, yes, you have two drives, but there's one that is your core and the other is not your core. And as long as you and I know that, there's hope. What I mean by that is we have ourselves a belief in ourselves. In other words, we have an optimism that will be unshakable when we know that our core is pure. If we at any point doubt that, then we're in trouble. Because not only is there now this other force, but we might believe that the other force is stronger or more essential or more innate than the godly core. I want to say this in simple terms. Freud discovered the id, Kabbalah, tells us about the Yid. That's what it comes down to, right? That's what it comes down to. Freud said, you know what's at the core of human beings? Oh, all this ugliness. And Kabbalah says, uh, Dr. Sid, Sig, Sig, Sigmund? Yeah. Keep on digging. You stop, you stop digging when it got a little, a little dirty. Keep on digging. You, you stopped at one, of, at, at one of the many layers of tarnish. Keep on polishing, keep on digging, and you'll find a pure core. In my opinion, one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself, that we can give ourselves, this holiday season, I, it sounds literally like a commercial, this holiday season, treat yourself to a gift. What is the, one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves is the gift of knowledge and awareness and really acceptance that we, to know who we really are, that we really are a beautiful, godly, divine, spiritual, holy being. That's our truth. Coupled with that knowledge is the knowledge that we're not always going to show up that way. And the reason is because there's other layers on top, or that can sometimes conceal. And that's okay. Well, it doesn't mean lean into the, net, to the tarnish, but it means to, to understand it for what it is. And to then spend our, spend our time, spend our energy, focus on, on a daily basis, polishing the silver, trying to remove the layers of tarnish and jump in to that good place. That's life. That's life in a nutshell. So the gift that we give ourselves this holiday season, as we approach Rosh Hashanah, coming up in 36 hours, right? Less than 36 hours now. Rosh Hashanah is going to begin tomorrow night. 36? Yeah, 36 is in the, in the night tomorrow. Tomorrow night. Ooh, very smart. Riva, can I see that for a second? Ooh, we're going to show everybody what this is. All right, we're taking a quick break. This is a message from our sponsor. This is, it's a beehive. Beehive? Yeah. 
Love it. And what, what goes inside of it? Real, real honey. Real honey. Can I open it? No. You can. I can? Yeah. I don't think I'm going to. We'll, we'll wait to, for, this is a mom thing. Okay, so this is Riva's, though, be very careful though. Ah, okay, <laughs> it worked. Okay, so it opens. This is for the honey, for the apples and honey. This is really beautiful. I love that. Okay. So you can give yourself one of two gifts, maybe both. Gift number one is that really cool thing, that really cool honeybee honey jar for your apples dipped in honey for the sweet new year. But for a spiritually sweet new year, right? In addition to Riva's honey situation, for a spiritual new year, it's about... Yes, it's about giving ourselves the gift of, I don't know how to say this in one word, not acceptance, it's not, it's more than knowledge, awareness, uh, connection with truth, but that's too many words, whatever, it's all of the above. It's the gift of knowing who we are. It's the gift of getting in touch with our authentic self. That's what, that's what today's about. Today's class is about recognizing our authentic self. And our authentic self is holy. It's divine. It's pure. And it's sweeter than honey. Almost as sweet as honey. Yeah. That's, what, that's who we are. Everything else, it's also in us, but it's not who we are. It's, it's part of our reality, but it's, the, it's not the core. Knowing that it's not parallel forces, but it's a core and a cover helps us embrace the truth. And it also, let me add this point, which I think I was talking about, but maybe I didn't say this word. It also helps with optimism. Optimism. Optimism, optimism means that we are confident that it will be good, that we will be okay, that we will polish that silver and bring back out that fresh Becker look, that fresh Lechter look, that, that new car smell, no, that fresh silver shine. Yeah, knowing, as Yaakov said, knowing that I'm a good person, knowing that I am a godly person, knowing I am a beautiful person. You cannot compare the journey of one who is unsure of all of the above. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm not a good person. God forbid, right? Maybe, um, maybe I am this flawed person. Maybe that's who I am. And maybe the good stuff that I do is a mask. Maybe that's the mask over my true, you know, ugly identity. Gaval, we should never think like that. Again, this is where Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy may differ from other takes on, on, human, on, 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 on human personality or, or defining the human being. And that's okay. That's okay. Judaism has a unique take. Kabbalah has a unique take. Kabbalah's take is we are at our core holy, beautiful, pure, and divine. This affects the way we think about ourselves this new year. How do we stand before God? Do we feel guilt? Shame? We should feel confident. Right? We don't blow the shofar. We should feel confident. I know who I am. I'm pure. Yes, I have layers, but they don't define me. And my commitment this year is to keep on polishing, 
to polish a little bit better this year than it did last year. That's a completely different take than I'm a bad, God forbid, a person thinking or saying to themselves, I'm a bad person. I have all these things I messed up. You know, will God even accept me? Will God put me in the book of life? I mean, that's like, that's not an optimistic perspective. And that's not the mystical Hasidic Chabad perspective at all. The Chabad perspective is the mystical based on Kabbalah is that we are pure inside. We are holy inside. We are good inside. And thus, we stand on Rosh Hashanah and every day declaring to self and to God that we're showing up with our authentic self, trying to show up at least with our authentic self, and the rest we're going to polish. It destigmatizes the layers. It's not, it doesn't define me. So often, what gets us stuck is not the tarnish, but it's how we feel about the tarnish. It's not the actual stuff. It's how we process the stuff. It's like the stories that we tell ourselves about the stuff that really gets us stuck. I hope, I hope that makes sense, what I'm trying to say here. It's like we once uh, had a class, one of the JLI classes. I don't remember which one, and I don't remember the exact quote. It was from one of the Hasidic rabbis who said, not necessarily Chabad, but one of the, one of the Hasidic uh, masters, said the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, doesn't actually care about the sin. It cares about how you feel about the sin. In other words, the agenda is not the sin itself. The agenda is the person should mess up, and then they're going to spiral out of control, feeling bad and guilty, whatever about that. And that's, that's, that's worse, that's more devastating than the actual sin. Again, it's the tarnish versus how we feel and interpret the tarnish. Because if we understand the tarnish is natural, and our job is then to polish it, it just ta- there's no emotion there. It, we, don't get, we don't get caught up in like guilt and shame. Like, oh no, my, my Kiddush cup has tarnish. It's like, yeah, of course. You just need to polish it. It's like, not a big deal. It's like, oh my gosh, my car, I've been driving it, and now my car is not uh, clean on the outside. It's like, yeah, of course not, because you were driving it, right? So like, obviously, what's, what's needed is a car wash, right? Don't feel guilt or shame, just, just get it clear, clean it yourself, or have someone, like, it's not, it's not a, when we get stuck in the, in the whole, um, pathology of it. It's like, oh, this means this, and oh, you have tarnished. That means that you're tarnished. It's like, no, 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 no. It's normal. It's natural. Let's get over it. It doesn't mean to accept it and say, you know, I'm not going to try to polish this here. What it means is that we recognize that the work needs to be done, and we destigmatize it, and we take out the emotional weight of it. So, so when I say that it's, uh, that it's okay, have tarnished, what I mean is that we accept it as our work, as opposed to our shame. It's the work that we do, and it's not shameful work, it's the work that we do, knowing that we have that pure core inside. So what does it mean to live authentically? To circle back to how we started this conversation. Living authentically means that we recognize, again, from a Kabbalistic perspective, this is Kabbalah and coffee after all, Right? This is not uh, some other class you would get, maybe some other, other take. But at Kabbalah and Kafi, what Kabbalah teaches is that the authentic self, our authentic self, is pure 
and holy and divine. It's godly. Our godly soul is our true essence. And the more we lean into that, the more we recognize that, the better off we are on every single level. And so this takes us back to our conversation in our text, Overcoming Falling. That now is without jacket. The jacket's here. In Overcoming Folly, we've been speaking about alternative methods to gain divine energy. We talked about rummaging. Rummaging? Is rummaging a word? Yeah? Rummaging through the the waste, kind of like the, um, the garbage, a little bit, right? How um, when light comes down from above, spiritual light, infinite light, comes down to a finite universe, it, gets, it goes through the process of tzimtzum where it gets cut and cut and cut and cut and cut to the point that it becomes really a thin layer of light. And then that light can somehow, when it goes to its destination, it can kind of like leak out elsewhere, um, and then it's, it's, it's accessible to other forces that are not so holy. The example that we gave, if you recall, this is going back like a little while, the example that we gave was the analogy of the king who throws a feast for all the high ministers and officials, and then, you know, after the feast is done, there's leftovers and, you know, scraps and whatever, and, and whoever wants, you know, the dogs can, can eat from there. So the klipa, the unholy forces in the universe, they can gain their energy from these, the leftovers. The leftover light, the reduced light, like the bones, the scraps. That's one method of, uh, of, of negativity nurturing, uh, nur- um, uh, nurturing uh, getting nurturing energy. The other, way, the other method we explained at length was the opposite. Not at the end of the process, but before the process begins. We explained that uh, before the energy undergoes the tzimtzum, before the divine infinite light undergoes the tzimtzum, the contraction, to enter into the finite universe, it begins as this all-encompassing infinite light that is called, in the language of Kabbalah, makif. Makif means encompassing, surrounding. It's non-specified, non-specific, non-directional light. So it's light that is not yet focused in a direction. It's just, it's, it's just very broad and very generalized. And we explained at length that on that level, if klipa, if the, ener- if the dark energy, if the dark uh, forces of the universe were to somehow be able to, and they are, able to climb up or fly up like an eagle, we said, able to soar, to that level of pre-tzimtzum infinite light, they could also get an influx of energy from that level of makif because it is not discerning. Why is it not discerning? Discernment begins when the light is directed toward our reality. When it's directed toward the universe and it begins to undergo the tzimtzum process, suddenly now it's focused, it's directional, it has an agenda, and now there's a system. There's a system, how the light flows, where it flows, etc. Now, after the system is done, there are leftovers. That was the first method of, 
of nurturing that we spoke about for, for klipa for evil. But the second is before the system begins, when the light is still in that infinite space. But if you recall, maybe three weeks ago, I explained that there's a higher dimension. The height, which is the, the deepest dimension, highest, deepest, um, it's uh, synonymous for today's conversation. The highest and deepest dimension is the essence of God. And at the essence level, it's not available for all to take. The light is not available for all to take. There is a definitive expectation, a definitive plan, a definitive methodology for the light, for where the light should exist, and who, who should get the light. And it's not available for evil. So, what that means is, there are really three systems. Okay? Three systems. System number one, and I'm going to use the word system, or it's not the perfect word, but work with me here. Three systems. System number one is what we would call in the box which is Seder Hishashud, which is this schematic of, of creation. In the box, everything is meant to follow an order. Seder Hishashud means the order of creation, the order of existence. It follows an order. It's in a box. If the vessel is, is worthy, the light goes in. If the vessel is unworthy, the light will not go in. That's the way the system works. So I have here my IJA mug, a little faded, okay, but still, still, still amazing, still the best mug out there. It's got a great lip for those that have it. You know what I'm talking about. It's got a, yes, thank you, Dr. Maxi, absolutely. It's got a great lip feel to it, right? It, like, it, just, like, it, just, it just works so well. Anyway, so... <laughs> um, Oh, so this is a so this is obviously a very worthy vessel. Ah, oh, Adina Malka's got one. This is a very worthy vessel, and the light, right? Conceptually, the light goes in to worthy vessels. You can ask mom. So, so light goes in in the box. The way it works is light and vessel need to be compatible. If the vessel is not the IJ mug, uh, I don't know. But if it's, the, if, if it's compatible, the light can go in. I have this morning my beverage of choice. Some of you may know this. I feel like I'm revealing a secret, but, I, but I, I'm pretty sure you guys know this. I actually don't drink coffee. Even though I have a class called Kabbalah and Coffee, I actually drink tea. And today's tea is raspberry. Raspberry tea. Um, so... When the vessel is worthy, the light can go in. When the vessel is unworthy, the light doesn't go in. That's system one. First system is light, vessel, and it has to be compatible. System number two is beyond the box. Beyond the box, all bets are off. You don't need to show up at the vessel. There's no check, there's no ID checks at the door. You walk in and you collect. It's a free-for-all. No checks, no background checks, no ID checks. 
garnish, nothing. It's open and available. Why? Because the light is in this like infinite space that's not non-discerning space. It's not in a box. It's not, it's not light that is trained, I mean, directed, focused toward a vessel so that you need to check the vessel to make sure it's a worthy vessel. There's no vessel. It's just light. It's just available light. So collect the light, no problem. So that's system two. So system one is light vessel is very, um, you know, very, very precise. System two, all available. But system three is what I mentioned three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, and we circle back to it today, and this is the focus. System three is essence. So there's box, out of the box, and then essence. And in the state or the level of essence, pure, divine, godly essence, there's no free-for-all. There's no free-for-all. It's authentic. Like I said before about the human being, that you and I, it seems like sometimes it's a free-for-all. Who knows? Whatever. But then, tarnish here, tarnish there. But there is an authentic essence. There is an essence that is who we are, and that is pure and divine. The same thing is true with God. Yes, there is a level beyond the box where there is this free-for-all, and evil can take from there, and light and darkness is, is kind of all a mishmash over there. But go deeper, go to the core, keep on peeling the layers of that un divine onion, said no one ever, whatever. Keep on peeling those layers and get to the core essence of, of God, and at that core essence, there are no two options. There is no duality, like within ourselves. At the core essence, there's no struggle. The struggle between the two wrestlers exists on a more surface level or on a more external level. At the core, there's a pure godly soul. And the same thing is true with God. And I think that over the last few weeks, some of us in this group got a little uncomfortable when we were saying, that when you go transcend this box, at that point, evil can also get a, an almost unlimited amount of energy. And many of you, I think, were thinking, I, you know, it seemed like the energy was like a little like, what? By God, you can, evil can also succeed. How does that even make sense? Not at the core. It doesn't make sense. Correct. Anyone who was bothered by that or felt a little uncomfortable? For good reason. Because at the core of God, so to speak, and who, who am I to define the core, but Kabbalah teaches, at the core of the divine essence, there is only light, when I say light, sorry, there's only place for that which is light and not darkness, only good and not evil. And it comes from an, the most authentic place of God. So yes, there is a place where there's, it's a bit random, theoretically, but at the core, it is purely, it's purely a choice of good. <sighs> to circle back to terminology that we used a few weeks ago, to circle back to terminology we used a few weeks ago, I explained three levels of choice. There is logical choice or rational choice. Then there is random choice. And then there's quintessential choice. So rational choice is, oh, I, I like those features. They make sense. I'll choose it. 
But if the facts on the ground change, I'll choose something else. I chose it based on the... So I chose it based not on me, based on it. Okay, so that I chose it based on it. Second, so it's not so deep. Second level choice is not about it because there's two identical apples. I'm choosing based on my own choice, my own flip of the coin. But it's, it's a little random. So it's not really me. It's a, it's a random flip of the coin. The third level, the highest level, is quintessential choice. And it means that that thing is so dear to me on the inside that although I could have theoretically chosen other things, there's no way I would have chosen anything else. This is who I am, and this is what I choose. But I need to know myself to know that. I need to get in touch with myself to know that. Give you another example. And I've used this example many times before, but I think today it's going gonna, it's gonna to pack a, a different type of punch in a good way. We all make choices on how we live our lives. Every single day, every single moment of the day. I said this before, right? We all make choices. What am I going to do with my time in the next hour? What, what am I going to do with my time today? Something higher, something lower, something self, something selfless. Taking, giving, what am I going to do? It's a choice we all make. And in our minds and in our hearts, we might think these are equal choices. I could choose this, I could choose that. And, and, and honestly, for most of us, I would say it, it vacillates. Some for me, some for you. And me and you could be me and God, let's say, right? Sometimes I'm going to do what I want. Sorry, God. And sometimes we'll do what God wants. Sorry, me. Right? It's like a little for me, a little for you. We go back and forth. But what happens when our authentic self shines through? What happens when we get in touch with the core essence of our being? What happens when our quintessence is, is, is awakened? There's no other choice. And the example for this brought in Tanya is when, historically, when the Jew was told that they have to renounce their, their faith or be put to death. And the Jew said, I will not renounce my faith. Come what may. In other words, every other day there was a choice for what I, what's good for me or what's good for God. But when the core is touched in a do or die moment, and the core essence of the soul is the tarnish. The layers are peeled away. And now what you see, what's exposed is the core of the soul. There's no choice. There's no, what I mean by there's no choice. There's no other option. The choice is an absolute declaration of self. This is who I am. I am, not, I am nothing but who I am. I cannot pretend. I will not pretend to be something that I am not. This is who I am. That's what Messias Nefesh is. That's what self-sacrifice is. It's about proclaiming and declaring loudly and proudly, this is who I am. This is my authentic self. Come what may, I'm not going to mask it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to conceal it. This is who I am. When that happens, it's an absolute game changer. It's an absolute game changer. But the truth is, that we're not always living at that level. We're living on a level where there's the tarnish and there's the silver. And we see a little bit of both. And we give energy a little bit to both. So what's the idea? So what's the idea? The idea here is that we're getting in touch with who we really are. 
And in that process of getting in touch of who we really are, we assert a choice of self to which there is no opposition. And the same thing is true above. Three levels of choice within self, three levels of choice above. There is the rational choice. Yes, light is better than darkness. There's the random choice where flip of the coin, it could go either way. Darkness also sometimes wins. Sometimes heads, sometimes tails. But then the deepest level of quintessence is where there's no other option, not because it looks better, it looks shinier, this, that, but because that's who God is at the core. God is aligned with goodness. God is aligned with light. And that's at the core. All right. So now with this in mind, I think we can jump inside to our text and um, read together. Okay, but before we do that, let me jump in and ask you guys to unmute if you have a question or a comment. Um, jump in with questions on what we just studied, please. Just say that how beautiful is this class. It's like the preparation for Rosh Hashanah with light, with, with, with love, and thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Rabbi, what is um, nefer nefishness? I didn't understand that term, nefer nefishness or something. Oh, nefesh habahamas. Did I say that? Uh, yeah, how do you spell it and what is it? Got it. It is, um, it is the animal, it's the animal soul. Nefesh habahamas, animal soul. Is my, is my screen frozen or can you guys see? Black right now. It is black right now. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, maybe my bandwidth is getting killed. Is everyone online? Yeah, it was frozen a few minutes ago, but you were still talking. Okay. Now it's black. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Uh, not sure what's going on with my screen. Let me try to stop video and turn it back on. Let's see if that restarts it. Yeah, you you're back. All right, the power of Zoom. So it's Nefesh Bahamas. I'm going to write it into the Bahamas. Not like Bahamas, that's something else. Nefesh Bahamas. I'm going to go Bahamit. Nefesh Bahamit. Okay, I'm writing in the chat. Nefesh means soul. Ha Bahamit means animalistic. So that is the animal soul. But that's just the Hebrew way of, of saying animal soul, right? An animal soul is not bad. It's just self-oriented. It's about self-preservation. Like think of an animal who in the jungle is killing to eat, right? The animal kills the other animal to eat. So it's not bad. I mean, I, I, unless from the, from the other animal's perspective, yeah, it's bad. But like it is what it is. It's like the animal is just trying to survive and that's, and that's, its, uh, that's its deal. Okay, so let's jump in. Yeah. Like, yeah. Also mentioned, I think you gave the Hebrew word for life mission, but I didn't catch that. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, oh, avodah maybe. Avo I don't think so. No, avodah. I'm just writing it in. I don't remember. Okay. Maybe if it comes back, then uh, then stop me. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's jump in to the uh, to the text. Oisios machkimos. It says the, the, the letters, seeing the letters of Kabbalah make us wise. When we study Torah with the text, 
it makes us wise. So let's become wise through the letters. Okay, we are going to jump into chapter number two of Discourse number 10, page 160. If you have your book, page 160. By the way, these books are back in print. When we first started, they were not in print. You can get your copy of Overcoming Folly. Um, wherever good Kabbalah books are to be found, you can find it on the, web, on the publisher's website, kahat.com, or Amazon probably. Anyway, chapter 2, 160, here we go. Um, inner and outer makif. Remember, makif means the, super, the, the, the transcendent, and the transcendent level, we said, it could go either way, but that, as we'll see today, is only the outer, external level of makif. The inner makif only goes one way. That's the authentic self of God, and that there's only one choice. So here we go. Let's read that inside here. Within the inwardness and essence of the infinite light, you see that inwardness and essence, authentic self of the infinite light, those who perform mitzvot occupy first rank. What that means is aligning with godly values, right? And the way he's referring to that is performing mitzvot, but it's certainly a lot, it's, it's aligning with divine values at its core. That is what the inwardness and essence of the infinite light is all about. So yes, there is a random, you know, random light generator element to it as well, but that's outer makif. The inwardness and the essence of this infinite light is, um, is actually reserved for aligning with that truth. All we have said before, Discourse 9, Chapter 3, about everyone, right, being able to receive from the makif, even Klippot and the Sitra Akhra, that refers only to the external aspect of the makif. This is really, this sentence is really important. In other words, everything that we discussed the last few weeks about it being a free-for-all, anyone who wants evil, you know, negativity, darkness, anyone can access the infinite light or, or the makif light. Yes, that was only the external aspect of the makif. However, within the internal aspect of the makif, in other words, the quintessence, the authentic self of the makif, the intention is unequivocally for the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvot. Take a look at where this idea is found, not just in Kabbalah, but in the Midrash. Now, you and I know that the Midrash is the allegorical teachings of the Torah or the allegorical interpretation of the Torah that contains many mystical secrets. By the way, this reminds me. I'm going to stop sharing for a moment. Um, raise of hand. Who remembers when we recently did a course called Curious Tales of the Talmud? Yes, you remember we did that course recently, Curious Tales of the Talmud? Okay, so the, my intention is we did three sessions on that. I want to do another three sessions because part of that course it's not just about the specific themes. The overarching idea of that course is that even in Talmud, which is primarily focused on Jewish law, you have beautiful and deep secrets, mystical teachings contained in the stories of the Talmud. Same thing is true with the Midrash. The Midrash, although it's not necessarily synonymous with Kabbalah, but it, it contains many mystical secrets that align with the teachings of Kabbalah. Here we go. The Medrash states the following. This is on really the, um, the second verse of the, of the Bible. So the first verse is, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, and then it says, the world, va'aretz, haita, tohu, vavo. The world was 
formless and void. So the Medrash says, what does that mean? The world was formless and void. This refers to the actions of the wicked, right? So evil is formless and void. It's, you know, negative, dark, uh, vacuum, whatever. Then God said, after that, let there be light. This refers to the actions of the righteous. So the Medrash says, let me, let me break this down. The Medrash says that in the account of creation, in the first few verses of Genesis, we find a reference to evil and to good. The first mention is, the world was formless and void, wicked. Then it says, God said, let there be light, righteous. The Medrash says, but I do not yet know which he desires. God created both the capacity for evil, the formless and void, and the capacity for good, let there be light. So I don't know which he desires, whether these actions are these. God created evil and good, right? We've talked about this many times. God creates free choice, and free choice means there's this path that's available and that path that's available, the good and the evil. So the Medrash says rhetorically, I don't know which one he likes. He created both. Maybe evil is the option that God wants. But then the Torah says, God saw the light, that it is good. That verse shows us that he desires the actions of the righteous and does not desire the actions of the wicked, right? It says that there was God created the void and God created the light. Which one does he like? When the Torah then says, Vayar ha'ar kitov, Vayar ha'ar kitov, God saw the light, that it was good, Og, the word good, is associated now with the darkness, now with formless and void, but the word good is associated with light. And that tells us that God desires good, that God likes the actions of the righteous, the light, and not the actions of the wicked, the formless and the void. Desire, does this make sense? Yes, the measure says, Basically, there is a realm where both are options. There is a realm where both are available. There is a realm where both are created. And there's a cosmic flip of the coin, this way or that way. Both are paths in, in God's world. But what does God really want authentically at the core of God's being, the quintessential choice of God, God's desire, using the language of, of the Medrash, God's desire is righteous. God's desire is light and not darkness, not evil. Desire in Hebrew is chafetz. And that refers to the inner will, the quintessential will, the deepest desire of an entity. For the human being, our authentic self, what's your truest, deepest desire? Not what you think you want. Yeah, I want an ice cream cone. What do you really want? Right? What do you really, really want? Goodness and godliness. And with God, what does God really want? Goodness, light, righteousness. Will, we have noted, is makif. So will is makif, but inner will is the deepest part of makif. In his inner will, which corresponds to the internal aspect of the makif, he desires only the actions of the righteous. From the inner makif is bestowed the root of the beneficence that is granted to an inward manner, sorry, granted in an inward manner, namely, Seder Shalshut. In other words, from the inner level of Makif, that is from where the internal light in vessel flow originates. And that in Seder Shalshut, in the, in the box of creation, that is, that is what flows into creation, light into vessel, but it all comes from the deepest core of God's desire, which is goodness, which is righteousness. Although 
Seder Shashlot from Chachman down is indeed lower in category than the Makkah, which transcends Seder Shashlot. We said before, there's three levels. There's the box, there's the encompassing, and then there's the, 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 the essence of the encompassing light. So although the box is lower than the encompassing light, right? Its roots, however, transcend the supernal Makkah. It is in the inner Makkah. So which tells us like this, there are three dimensions. There's the box, there's the encompassing light. So the, the light in the box is light and vessel. Then there's outside the box is encompassing light. And then there's the, the deepest essence, the, the highest level, deepest level, whatever you want to call it, the deepest core essence, which only desires the, the right, righteousness, goodness. And that becomes the source for the way things operate in the box. So the truth is, the aberration is that, that middle level of Makif where the, it's a coin flip of which one we'll, we'll get the energy from. That is more the aberration more than anything else. So the core essence is righteousness. Then you have the coin flip, the coin, the, yeah, the flip of the coin, and then you have the, um, the light in vessel system where everything works um, based on, on, uh, on, on, on viability and appropriateness. Okay, back inside, 162. It follows then that Israel, who received through Torah and mitzvot from the inner light of Seder Hashashlot, ultimately received from the inwardness an essence that is infinitely higher than the Makif. So what it's saying here is that when we study Torah, which we're doing right now, when we do good deeds, mitzvot, mitzvot are good deeds. When we do good deeds, acts of kindness, right? Acts of goodness and kindness in this world. Making the world a better place. When we do that, right? We draw from the inner light of Seder Shalshalot and at the core, we're receiving from the inner divine essence that transcends makif, which means that ultimately crime does not pay. If, you, if, we, if we stop paying attention last week or the week before, we might have thought crime pays. Look, you can do whatever you want and you can still, and you can still um, get energy from this level of makif where, yeah, light and dark don't make a difference. You can collect from there. What we're saying today is no, 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 no. Go deeper. Go deeper than that. When it's deeper than that, we reach a realm where specifically what's wanted and desired is only the righteousness, good actions, good deeds. And thus, when we do good deeds down here, we're not just getting the limited light in the limited vessel. We're also drawing from the, the deepest, most essential, quintessential light, the light of God's essence that comes through, that is higher than the Makkah, higher than that realm of the coin toss. And from there, we get, from there we get the light. The advantage here is that the light is bestowed inwardly and unites with Israel. When the Sitra Akra, so again, he's, compare, he's contrasting Israel, right, with Sitra Akra, with evil. So he says, when the Sitra Akra, on the other side, elevates itself to receive from the supernal Makif, the light does not unite within it, God forbid. Well, it does not unite with it, God forbid. So the light, because it's not a vessel, because evil is not a container for, for light, because it's not an appropriate vessel, it's evil after all. So yes, it can collect the light, but when it collects the light, the light doesn't integrate with it. It doesn't, it doesn't unite with it, God forbid. For the sacred cannot merge with the profane. That's the big rule in, rule in, in, in the cosmic spheres. The, the holy doesn't merge with the unholy. So yes, the unholy can collect from there because 
It's a high, transcendent level, but it doesn't unite on that level. Particularly since this is an encompassing illumination, it's a level of makif, not an inward and permeating one. So the light is totally distinct from the sitra achra, and it has no relation with the light in any form. In other words, it, the sitra achra, has no relation with the light in any form. So yes, evil can gain energy and vitality from that realm, but the energy and vitality it receives, number one, is ultimately not sustainable. Number two, it, it doesn't unite with it. But the souls of Israel, and, and but for the souls of Israel, and that, again, he's referring to, this is a general way that he's referring to those that are doing good deeds, etc. But for the souls of Israel, the light illuminates inwardly and becomes one with them, as explained. So it will be understood that the source of the benef- of the beneficent, of the Beneficence is far higher than the makif. So this, this last line is summing up really the intention of this entire chapter that we started today, chapter 2 of Discourse 10, which is to flip it back to the side of goodness and righteousness. Because thus far, it's, it's been seeming that, look, you know, there's a certain point, there's a certain reality, certain realm where goodness and kindness and good deeds don't matter. So whether you did good or didn't do good, everyone gets from the same bucket. And what we're saying today is, yeah, but that's not the highest bucket. And that bucket ultimately en- stops at some point. And that bucket never integrated. When, when somebody that, that is, is doing negative things is collecting from that bucket, number one, it's not sustainable long term. Number two, it never integrates with them. Because there's no, it's not, it's not, it doesn't come in a deserving fashion. When we do the right thing, which in this context means studying Torah, which we're doing, it means doing good deeds, doing mitzvot good deeds, right? When we do these things, then we get not just the limited, most limited light, we get from the infinite quintessential source, the quintessence of God that transcends the market. This explains the verse. God shall not will to forgive him. What does that mean? Only idolaters of the hinder part and externality can also receive from the externality of the makif, from where their beneficence is derived. Israel cannot receive from this hinder part, but from inwardness. And the inward demands a vessel fit to accept the light of vitality. So he says like this, the realm of unholiness, yeah, it can, it can, it can, trudge, it can trudge along, whatever the expression is, with, from, the le- from that level of makif, of nurturing from that energy. But you and I, it's not sustainable to take from that level in an undeserving fashion. That, that, that runs dry. It doesn't integrate. It doesn't, doesn't synchronize with who we are. It doesn't speak to our authentic self. Using, melding, ancient Kabbalistic terminology with the way I've described it today, using modern terminology, what, what, what this chapter is saying is, that as long as we're not being true to our, to our authentic self, we might make a lot of money, we might get a lot of honor or praise, but we will not ultimately be satisfied. We will not ultimately be happy because all that other stuff doesn't really integrate as long as we're not being true to our authentic selves. And that's why you find the, 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 the concept, I, listen, I can't say definitively, but one way that this, expre- that this might express itself is in the midlife crisis. Not every midlife crisis is the same, but what might a midlife crisis look like? It might look like a person realizing that, yes, they have the job, they have the career, they have the money, they have the house, they have the car, but is this what I want for my life? Where does that come from? It's not, this is not, and by the way, let me just 
tone this down for a second. This is not good versus evil. This is authentic versus inauthentic. That's, that's what I'm trying to bring this back to. Authentic versus inauthentic. And midlife crisis means a person wake. One of the expressions could be, a person wakes up one day and says, I'm not living authentically. This is not what I want to be doing. This, yes, I might be successful, but this is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. This is not what I want to be doing. But sometimes a person doesn't even know why they're going through this crisis. A person doesn't even know why they're questioning everything and why they don't feel good. Because everyone else says, oh, you should be happy. And based on the checklist, right, the checklist that the world gives us, society gives us, all the boxes might be checked. I mean, please God, right? So it should be, right? That all the boxes are checked. So then why am I unhappy? So what's wrong? The question is, what's going on inside? What's at the core? Are we, are we accessing the quintessence of who we are? Right? Are we accessing the godly soul inside? Are we expressing the godly soul inside? Are we giving a voice to the, to the inner core of who we are? And if the answer is no, then it makes sense that we're unhappy. Why are we unhappy? Because the core being of ourselves is not being nurtured. We're not accessing our authentic self. We're not living true to self. So you, you Google. I mean, you could, if, if you want, right? Um, living authentically or advantages of living authentic. You find lists, checklists. Oh, here's, if you live authentically, this happens and that happens and this good and that good. But for you and I, we have a spiritual understanding of what that means. Living authentically doesn't mean, you know, I decided I want to be an artist. So now, you know, I'm going to paint or I decided I want to be a, a lawyer. So I'm going to practice law or I decided that I'm going to be a, um, and I, whatever. it's not about what we do in a vocation. It's about who we are inside. It's about giving rise to our spiritual core essence. That's really what it means to live authentically. And that ultimately should express itself in our art, in our law, in our account, whatever we're doing. But the authentic self can express itself through that. And that is the magic combo. When we're living authentically, when we're tapping into the authentic part of self, and that channels itself through what we're doing, that's the best. We don't need to change jobs necessarily. We don't need to disrupt our lives. It's just about getting in touch with who we really are and from there, allowing it to inform our lives on the outside. So what this means, practically speaking, connecting the modern with the ancient Kabbalah. What we're, what we're saying today is, yes, there is a way to live for a certain amount of time, you know, in this place of discord, in this place of vacillation between light and darkness and good and evil and sometimes evil prospers. Sometimes good finishes first. Sorry. Sometimes evil finishes first. Ends up in first place. But that not that, but that ought not be the model that we strive for, because that is ultimately not sustainable, because it's coming from this place of makiv above that is really, although it's the it's a random light generator, so anyone can get theoretically, it's not a sustainable source, and it's not what we're meant, not how we're meant to live. We're meant to live in a way that the light integrates with our being, not in a way where there's all of this discord and chaos. And thus, living authentically means that we're tapping into the beautiful core inside, which taps into the quintessence of God, 
And doing so, doing so, allows us to tap into the greatest blessings. And so as we get ready for 5782, the new year, I have my chauffeur here at the ready. Not going to sound it again. But it's the symbol of the new year, for me at least, one of the strong symbols of the new year. As we get ready for 5782, let us recommit ourselves to number one, recognizing that we are beautiful inside. And along with that, they are also beautiful inside. Who's the they? The other person. Every other person. It's beauty inside. Let's judge ourselves with love and compassion, knowing who we are. Let's judge the other one, the other person, with love and compassion, knowing who they are. And the more we get in touch with our authentic self, the more that can express itself in everything that we do. So when we're creating, when we're working, when we're eating, when we're vacationing, when we're um, socializing, whatever we're doing, it can come from our authentic self. We're happier. Others around us will be happier. Our relationships will be stronger and we'll be more effective in, in, in creating the change in this world that we were meant to create. And connected with all of this is the fact that in those moments of authenticity, we are directly interfacing, directly plugging in to the quintessence of God. That core space within God that is one with our core space. One to one. Our core with the divine core. Because, as Kabbalah explains, that's what our core is. Our core is a piece of God. The same thing that is the core of God is that beautiful core that is our authentic self. So when we get in touch with self, we are by definition getting in touch with God and that brings the greatest blessings. I want to wish all of you, all of us, a ksiva v'chasima toiva l'shana toiva u'mesuka, a gut gebenchiar. We should be written, inscribed, sealed, and delivered for a good year. A year of blessing, number one, a year of good health. Number two, a year of happiness, but true happiness that comes from knowing who we are and, and, and living with that core. A year of blessings and abundance, physically, spiritually, and the physical and the spiritual together. And it should be a year of sweetness, a year of sweetness where we have no more sorrows, no more loss, no more pain, no more trials and tribulations, but only goodness and kindness and blessings. And I just want to share also that these sessions are very meaningful to me. The opportunities that we have to study together Sunday mornings are very precious and very dear. And I want to thank you all for being part of, part of this and part of this family. Um, so thank you very much for being part of it. I will also mention that as we, uh, as we enter New Year, um, uh, there is a lot of need in the community and a lot of need in, uh, in the work that we do. So if your heart inspires you, uh, please join our campaign for the new year. You can help give at intownjewishacademy.org slash donate to help us um, as we begin this new year with uh, inspiration 
and positivity for all of us, for our community and our extended community. So thank you very much for being part of it. And thank you very much for sharing this time that we have every week, Sunday morning. Uh, lots of blessings, lots of love, and uh, Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Take care, everybody. Shana Tova. Bye, everybody. Bye.